Welcome everyone to Thunderous Applause, your one-stop shop for all things Oklahoma City Thunder and player development across basketball as a whole. I'm your host, Josiah Morton. You can follow me on Twitter at Josiah underscore NBA, and be sure to follow the pod on Twitter and Instagram at Thunder Applause. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Thunderous Applause with Josiah Morton. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Grizz and Grind, Spanning the Spurs, 305 Culture, Knuck If You Buck, Hashtag Lakers, Blazing the Path, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, and LA Hoops. Plus, our coaching focus podcasts Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light podcast. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of Thunderous Applause, the inaugural episode of your source for all things Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm your host, Josiah Morton, a lover of all things basketball, especially the NBA, and even more specifically, the Oklahoma City Thunder. With me today, I have my brother, some would say my best friend, and basketball fiend, Jacob Morton. Jacob, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience with basketball, and where we can find you on social media. Sure. So I've uh, been in coaching and, and skill development now for about six years. Um, you know, started just in skill development as an undergrad student, um, kind of learning the ropes a little bit. Uh, coached some high school basketball right out of college and uh, and currently am stationed at the Skill Factory in Atlanta uh, as the director of basketball operations there, as well as an assistant coach. Uh, so as far as Twitter, you can uh, find me on Twitter at, at Coach J Mort. C-O-A-C-H-J-M-O-R-T. That's where you can find me. Feel free to give me a follow. Love Talking Hoops on Twitter as, as well as uh, as well as conversations like these. Absolutely. I consider following you. I don't know if I will or not, but I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get you up to four followers after this pod. Don't, don't have a fear after that about that. All right. So, uh, you mentioned you're working with the skill factory. I believe that there's a familiar name to thunder fans that, uh, did some pre-draft workouts at the, uh, skill factory, uh, guard by the name of Teo Maladon. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about him and, uh, how he worked with the skill factory? Sure. And I'll, I'll tell you this, he is a familiar name with Thunder fans after one preseason game. And, and I would uh, I would tell Thunder fans to feel very confident that he's a name that, that they're going to get used to for a while. Uh, but actually, Teo was doing his, his pre-draft workouts with the Skill Factory. So he was in Atlanta for three months working out with uh, Jeremiah Boswell, Efton Bogoev, which is um, one of the coaches that I'm pretty close with. And so I've gotten to interact with Teo on a couple of occasions and watch him work out on a regular basis. And the first thing that uh, stands out about Teo is his professionalism. For for an 18, 19-year-old kid, you could definitely tell watching him work out, watching him just coming into the gym, preparing for his workouts, the way he treats his body after workouts. You could tell that he's been a professional for a number of years. And, and the, the precision in which he works out, uh, was one that could tell you, you know, this kid's a little bit different. Um, and I'll tell you this, he's not a workout warrior. He's not a kid that if you watched him work out one on zero, you would sit there and think he's going to be, you know, this good at, at this, that, and the other. He's not going to wow you in workouts. But when you watched him play in the TSF pro runs, that's when you could see this kid's IQ is on a really high level. He can make all the passes. He makes all the reads. He doesn't get sped up. He makes open shots. Um, and so just getting to see him with the skill factory and getting to really see him up close in the gym, uh, there was a lot of reason to be confident. And I know that our camp at the skill factory was a little surprised that he slipped as far as he did. But obviously being a Thunder fan um, and and as well as working with the skill factory, I'm, I'm rooting um, even a, a little extra hard for Teo's success with the Thunder. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about uh, just 
the way he kind of manages the court so well. Um, I mean, you could see he's playing point guard as a as a teenager uh, in the NBA as a backup point guard against legit competition. I mean, probably the best competition he's played against. And you can just tell, you know, his first game out, he scores 20 points. But it's not even really about the scoring. It's just um, he knows the reads. Uh, he, he's make he made several passes in just his first game. Um, he's he's willing to shoot, but he's not really a shoot first guy. Um, and you can just tell, like he just knows how to play the point guard position. Um, and I think we've really seen in the NBA how effective uh, these European athletes are. Um, just so skilled and so solid, and, and like you said, you know, professionals from an early age. Um, and I think we're really seeing kind of a jump in the number of uh, European athletes um, just coming over and immediately contributing to the NBA. And uh, I think Teo is going to be one of those guys. Yeah, and and people have alluded to it a couple of times, and, and it's not going to be the last time we hear about it, but Teo actually played for the team that Tony Parker owns now in France. And you don't want to be cliche. Yes, they're both French. Yes, they both have that floor general, uh, I guess, prototype to their game. But you don't want to compare Teo at 18 years old to Tony Parker by any means. But you can just tell that he's been around a guy like Tony. And you can tell that Tony's been in his ear. The, the pace that he plays with, the craftiness, um, just the poise on the ball. And, and like you said, understanding the high-level reads. I know in, in the first preseason game, uh, he, he came off of a ball screen going left, jumped to finish, changed hands in the air and made a skip pass across to the weak side corner. It, you just – you don't see a lot. I, I would be interested to know how many point guards in this draft class w- can make a play like that on a regular basis. And that's that's obviously not to say Teo is the best guard in the class, but just kind of pointing out the things that he does at a really high level. Um, and again – with the condensed uh, workouts with, with kind of a, obviously due to the pandemic, a different off season and, and kind of pre-draft process than what NBA teams are accustomed to. How many NBA teams got to see Teo play live in pro runs as opposed to, to just running a one-on-zero workout? Um, and maybe that contributed a little bit to a slip. I don't know. But what I do know is that the skill set that he has is one that every NBA team wants their wants their point guard to have, uh, and so I think Teo um, is a really bright prospect and certainly somebody that Oklahoma City Thunder fans should be excited about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I am uh, just from the the couple of preseason games that he played in. Um, just looked incredible, and then watching his film from uh, from Europe last year, just it really wasn't surprising to see how poised he was um, because he did the exact same thing last year playing against uh, legitimate professionals. So really excited for the future of Teo. Uh, I think it's pretty clear he uh, is at least at the very least an NBA player for several years, um, and you know in the second round, um, I think that's all you can hope for. Uh, you actually mentioned um, his relationship with Tony Parker, and you know Presti has uh, that connection with Tony. They were both in San Antonio at the same time. I believe Presti was involved with uh, with the decision making to to draft him. Uh, so I'm certain that they have a relationship that uh, informed um, the Thunder's willingness to to move up to to draft Teo. Uh, so I appreciate you talking about Teo. Um, really excited to see where he goes. Um, I think the next thing I'd just like to talk about is uh, what your takeaways are from uh, the first three preseason games. Um, you know, this, we're recording on Sunday night. Season starts Tuesday, uh, starts for the Thunder on Wednesday night. Um, obviously, we watch these first three games, and it's hard to take away a ton. It's just guys, sometimes it's guys getting back into shape. We've got, you know, the 17th man on the roster is taking last-second shots. Um, Hamadou Diallo is playing point guard for quarters at a time. Uh, there's a lot going on that you can't necessarily take a ton away from, but I think uh, the play style is just really different from what Thunder fans are accustomed to in the past. They don't have a superstar that's going to dominate the ball, so they have to find other ways to uh, generate offense. So tell me a little bit about what you saw from just the way they were playing um, these first three preseason games. Well, I'd say the first takeaway is I think Presti has set this team up uh, to really see how good can Shea Gilgis-Alexander be. Uh, you, you look, there's not a whole lot of help scoring the ball. Uh, with the addition of George Hill, that's obviously a really solid floor spacer. You've got Horford now to space the floor, something that the Thunder have never really had out of their five spot. Uh, Darius Baisley 
is more of a face-up four-man. Um, and then at the wing spot, obviously, a big rotation. Lou Dort will, will eat a good chunk of those minutes, perhaps Justin Jackson too. Obviously, maybe see some Pokashevsky as well. Uh, but what you're going to see is there is not a single scorer on the roster uh, besides Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And so I think twofold, we will see how good of a scorer can Shea be. Is he in the Levine category where he truly can get a bucket at any stage of the game? Uh, is he a, a, maybe a tier below what Zach Levine is looking like and projecting as, as, as Levine's kind of gotten better really every year of his career. And then on the second end of that, how easy can he make it for his teammates who aren't as offensively gifted? Can he, can he help Lou Dort be an effective cutter? Um, you know, can he get Horford the easy looks off of the, off of the pick and roll or the pick and pop? Can he draw that attention that's going to open up that lift pass to the wing or whatever it might be? I think that uh, kind of the first thing I'm taking away is that Presti really wants to see what we have in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, the second thing that I would say is I think Coach Dagnall has has made it pretty clear the way that he wants to play, and uh, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot easier for a coach in the NBA to play the way he wants to play when you don't have a true superstar on the roster, and so you're going to see I think a more open floor, uh, a lot of five out stuff. Yes, we'll post Horford some. I think we may even post Horford to be a playmaker as opposed to a scorer out of the post ups. But I think open floor, five out, it's going to open up a lot of room for backdoor cuts, which is hopefully an area that a guy like Lou Dort and Hamadou Diallo have grown um, to get easy looks. Andre Roberson, toward the last couple years of his his stint with the Thunder, really took some positive steps toward becoming a good cutter. I know that Rush used to hit him off with the lob on that baseline all the time. Um, Can Lou Dort, in that same mold, become an effective cutter? Um, can Hamadou Diallo, with his elite athleticism, become an effective cutter? Um, I think that we're going to try to open the floor up to to kind of enable some more space for these guys. We know Shea is slippery in space. We know Shea can get where he wants to on the floor. Uh, but is this offense with, Hor- with a guy like Horford and a guy like Darius Baisley, two guys who are comfortable in dribble handoff situations, in face-up situations, putting the ball on the floor, um, how much are we going to put the ball in the bigs hands to be playmakers? And then I would say the third thing overall is just going to see how can Thunder culture stay what it is as we kind of uh, get into a new era of, of Thunder basketball. It's the first time in a long time uh, that we haven't had a clear first ballot Hall of Famer type player on the team. Uh, even last year with Chris, obviously he was old, played some limited minutes, but we knew whose team it was. We knew what we knew who had the ball in their hands down the stretch in close games, and he was very good at that. So when you look at the culture of Oklahoma City, which has just always been hard-nosed, me or, or team first, uh, play the right way, enjoy the fans, and really player development, I think that this year is going to give the Thunder that chance to really emphasize that uh, that final kind of column of Thunder culture, which is player development. And I'm really excited to see what some of these young guys can do. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that Thunder fans were always climbing, clamoring for with Russ and KD and then Russ and Paul George uh, was always, can we please just get some ball movement and player movement? You know, it was, a, it was a ton of the best players are the best players. And we surround them with kind of gritty defenders who uh, are average shooters at best. And we see what happens. And we're going to give you Steven Adams, who fantastic defensively, um, shows flashes of being able to pass the ball a little bit, um, but pretty limited offensively. And we know it's going to clog the paint, but we're just going to rely on our superstars to be superstars. And I think Thunder fans are desperate to see just ball movement, player movement, spacing, skill players. Um, I do think this year, offensively, uh, we may be reminded why having a superstar is still better than a good offense. Uh, I think there are going to be times when we still just can't score, and Absolutely. the you know the the handoffs and the ball screens and the cuts and coming off double screen action and running horns, all that's going to look fantastic, and then nobody's going to go by their man, and we're going to be shooting a contested twenty eight footer with two seconds on the clock. 
Um, so I think, you know, there will be some moments uh, where there's just no one to create offense, and especially when Shea is on the bench, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Sure. Uh, but you were discuss- you were talking about the space and the skill, and it's just, you know, you see these this five out, and the only non-shooter in the starting lineup, the real starting lineup from game three, is Dort, who at least um, is creative in finding other ways to contribute. But you've got a guy like Horford that um, I remember several plays where Shea, you know, Horford sets a screen, Shea goes toward the rim, uh, he's got his man on his hip, and the big is hesitating, trying to decide which player to guard. Yeah. Um, do you go ahead and contest Shea at the rim, and Shea showed a willingness to just throw it out to the wide-open Horford, who, you know, he and Muscala both uh, shot lights out in the preseason. And then there were a couple other times where the big goes scampering out to Horford to protect the wide-open three, and Shea just lays it up because, you know, he's already got his man beat. I mean, you see those kinds of plays, but it also – you know, Baisley, I believe it was in game two, hit that, you know, dribble in, mid-range pull-up, first possession yeah. of the game. Uh, Baisley has the the jab-jab, spin-move right uh, from the left wing that he loves to pull out. Um, and, but no matter who's holding the ball, you can always uh, see that they're looking for the next play. Uh, you know, they're looking for the next pass, the next guy to come off a handoff, who's going to have the ball next. And it's, it's going to be really fun. Uh, to watch a team that's so willing to move the ball and so willing to move um, players. You know, even whenever we would occasionally get up into the middle tier in the NBA in passes per game, it was still just guys standing around and then swinging it around the wing after Russ attacked the rim and drew four defenders. Um, so I think it'll be a fun style, but there will be times where we wish we had a superstar to create plays um, that our offense just doesn't generate. Ab- absolutely. We're going to go through dry spells and, uh, that's just part of it. That's like I said, a new era. It's it's part of of seeing what we have with some of these young guys, what we can project them to be, uh, and just seeing where we need to go moving forward. Like you said, anytime Shea's on the bench, I I would anticipate the Thunder to really struggle. Um, I you know one thing that I really like uh, about this roster is um, the bigs' ability to play in in ball screens and and dribble handoffs. Um, and I think that that Baisley, they have given Baisley a perfect teammate in Al Horford, um, so that he can learn exactly what it is that that a spacing big does. You know, everybody talks about a spacing big being able to shoot it, and and that's not all that it is. It's making decisions on the perimeter. It's being able to make a pass on on a rotation. The one thing that I love about Al Horford is. He knows if he catches and the shot's not there, if he's not feeling the shot, he knows where he's going next. He knows, okay, catch. Let's go. Let's go. Dribble handoff to the opposite side of the floor where the action just came. You know, opposite of where the action just came from. Uh, and you want to see Darius Baisley get to that point as well. There were a couple times in the preseason Baisley caught it. I thought had an open three in rhythm, pump faked it, and then kind of tried to play a little ISO. What you want to see now is you want to see a guy like Darius Baisley now learn catching rhythm. If I'm going to shoot it, shoot it. If I'm not going to shoot it, let's make a decision. But the last thing you want in these young guys is to get used to catching and holding the ball. Um, It gives the defense time to recover their rotation, and it messes up the flow of the offense. So there's really not many bigs better to learn from, I think, in the NBA than Horford in terms of a guy who plays two or three steps ahead in the actions of the offense, understanding where the next play is going to be, um, understanding, you know, getting to the opposite side of the floor, wanting to play away from where the action came to keep the defense on a scramble. Uh, So Darius Baisley, to me, is probably the player I'm most excited to watch this season. I think we know we can expect to see SGA take a jump, perhaps even most improved player in the NBA type jump. But for me – Watching Darius Baisley in the bubble last year gave me a whole lot of hope in what his ceiling can be. I thought that he he started to unlock a few things that maybe everybody didn't know he had. And so it seems like he's continued that trend in the preseason. So for me, my eyes are going to be glued to Darius Baisley this season to see what kind of step he can take. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be exciting to watch Darius. You know, that was like three compliments for Al Horford. Uh, are you feeling okay tonight? I, I'm not. It, it pains me. And for those for those that don't know, I, I'm I'm a pretty anti Al Horford guy. Um, from a, from a basketball fan standpoint, I, I'm just not an Al Horford guy. But you know what? As a basketball coach, 
Um, I want all my bigs to play like Al Horford, and that's the biggest compliment you can give somebody. Uh, he's a fantastic teammate. He's a culture guy. He does everything you could ask him to do, pass, dribble, shoot, defend multiple positions. Um, I just – the basketball fan inside of me just can't help to think that, you know, when Al Horford's 52 years old, he's going to be doing this same thing at the YMCA, and it's still going to be effective. Yeah, I hear you. I, you know, we're a little split on, on Al – some of us love the beauty and purity of the game and skill and other people just want to see athletes run and jump. I understand there's discrepancies in the way people watch basketball. We can't all watch it the way I do. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Listen, big, big Al is going to be a, a nice piece for us. And, and, uh, hopefully Darius Baisley can be a, a little more entertaining Al Horford down the road somewhere. Oh yeah, I, I th- yeah, a little more entertaining. Well, the the did you see the uh, Horford's reaction to Baisley's cram in Game Three, uh, the the third preseason game? Baisley had the run out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And Horford had the cringe in the backcourt, just feeling bad. He's you know he's he's like uh, flipping out and ducking his head and wondering what's going on with Baisley and feeling bad for the guy that just got put on the ground. I don't know if Horford felt bad for the guy that put on the ground or felt bad for himself that he never had bounced like that. Yeah, okay, okay. Let's put you <laughs> under the rim and let Horford go. We'll see what happens. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I, you know, we're talking about Horford and Baisley a ton, and I think uh, one of the th- I was listening, I was watching a, a stream with no, uh, with no commentators, and it was just the sounds of the game. And one of the things I noticed immediately, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about offense, but Horford was talking the entire 24 seconds on defense. You know, he's calling out coverages. He's letting us know how we're handling this next pick and roll. Uh, He's calling out back cuts. He's letting other guys know when they're supposed to be switching. Um, He's switching away from the ball. You know, that's one of the things that I think you see smarter teams doing. Um, If you get a bad switch on a screen um, and it's on the opposite side of the action, they'll immediately recognize it and get a big back on a big and a wing back on a wing. And you just see Horford calling that stuff out for for two other guys on the court. Um, And I think uh, his contributions defensively will be uh, immense. So, you know, as a whole, not just focusing on Allen Baisley. Hey, hoopheads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. What did you see defensively from this group? Uh, what did you think about their style? Well, I, I think you've got a lot of solid defenders. Uh, George Hill is a solid defender. I think Tail Maladon, given all the rookie struggles that are typical for the NBA, can be um, a really effective defender. Obviously, with Lou Dort, you're looking at a guy who just has first team written all over him for a long duration of his career. Uh, I think the guy on the on the preseason game, he described Lou Dort as a fire hydrant. And when he said it, I was like, what are you talking about? And then he explained himself, low center of gravity, really hard to move. It's like he's bolted to the floor whenever he's in a stance. And I think that Lou Dort is one of those guys who is never-ending chaos on the defensive end of the floor. And sometimes it'll get him in trouble. But for the most part, he's a guy, and we saw it. We saw it in the bubble. We saw it in the bubble with the, maybe the best score in the NBA. Did not want to see Lou Dort. At even when Harden got buckets, it was something he had to work for. It was hard. It was like he was breathing heavy every time he had to try and score on Lou Dort. So, you look at Horford, Swiss Army knife defender. You look at Baisley, kind of has that same mold. Maybe he can do a little bit of things, especially with his athleticism. You worry about his his, his strength inside guarding some of the bigger fours um, and if he ever has to slide slide down and play the five. 
um, you'll kind of worry about the size there. Uh, but I think with Shea, long limbs, quick, serviceable, heel, above average defender, Dort, high, high, high level defender, Horford, high level defender. Uh, I think it's a team that that is always going to be okay defensively. When you look at the bench, you start to get a little nervous. Um, not really sure what we're going to get at the backup five spot. That's probably where my biggest concern is on the defensive end. Um, Kenrick Williams, if he makes it, uh, is, is serviceable. A little bit slow, but seems like the IQ is good enough. Um, you know I have a special place in my heart for uh, guys that are not really NBA athletes but try really hard and know where to be on the court. Uh, Ken Rich and Muscala just really hold a special place in my heart because that's constantly what they look like on the court. You know, you could see that they know the place to be. They want to get there. Even sometimes they are there and it just doesn't matter. You know, they yeah. just don't have NBA athleticism, but they try really hard and they know exactly where to be at all times. And you felt the same way about Abdul Nader, too. So you felt the exact same way about that. Nader. Well, you know, people ask all the time, would you rather have, you know, a guy, a defender with all the tools, but maybe not all of the all of the heart? Or would you rather have a guy with all the heart but none of the tools? And, you know, I love to say that I would rather have a guy that just tries hard every possession because even if he gets scored over, it's just easier to watch a guy that's trying. But I do think there's room in the NBA or there's room in basketball to recognize that, you know, talent matters, obviously. And you can have a guy that doesn't give as much effort but is still more valuable on the defensive end. Um, And that's a hard thing to come to terms with when you just get so frustrated with guys that, clearly just aren't trying sure. um, and you know there's it's an 82 game season and it's these guys can't possibly be tasked with trying hard on both sides of the court constantly the entire night um, but you look at a guy like Steph Curry who's completely undersized but tries desperately on every possession defensively in the sure. playoffs um, and a lot of times the guys score anyway but it's a lot easier to watch him try hard and get scored over than it is to see guys that have the tools that won't won't give any yeah. effort and I think I think one thing that is a little underrated is that even if you are just trying hard, you can still make it a little difficult on somebody to score. I mean, it's not like it's always a walk in the park. Now, obviously, sometimes you've just got your Enos Cantors where, buddy, and I love Enos Cantor, but my goodness, you know, it just – Yeah, it, if he's in a pick and you, roll, then it's, you know, it's a, just it's a basket. Yeah, let's uh, grab at it. At the very Step least, it's a look. Um, <laughs> But just, you know, talking about what you were saying, would you rather have a guy with all the tools and and talent matters and things like that? Just from a coaching perspective, you know, I can say personally that I've been in in coaching meetings and I've been in in game planning meetings where the reality of it is this talent is is the first part and you have to have it. The only time that playing hard really makes the big difference is when the talent gap is non-existent. So when it's equal talent, trying hard can win you games. But if at the end of the day, if you've got a team who is supremely talented and you've got a team with no talent at all, even if that team with no talent at all plays their very, very hardest, it's just hard to overcome that talent gap. And so you see that some with some of the Oklahoma City Thunder Wings that we've had in the past and perhaps some that are on the roster now is they're going to play hard. We know that they're going to play hard. And NBA teams with that 14th and 15th roster spot value guys who you know are going to come to practice every day and work as hard as they can. And the few minutes they do get, they're going to work as hard as they can. So there are roster spots available for the guys like Kenrich Williams. Uh, It's just hard – for them to make any real impact because like you said, they doesn't matter that they know where to be. It's, can you be there? Um, yeah. I, I and, think with, I think with Kenrich, uh, what the thing that there's plays that sent out to me, I was watching some of the synergy film from his season last year. And there are so many plays where he's defending in isolation and, and he's, you know, he's defending a, a big guard um, and staying with him in isolation, which is impressive. But as soon as the guard gets to a step back, Kenrich just doesn't have the athleticism to get off the ground and contest. Uh, so, you know, you've got he stays with him. He stays in front. He moves his feet well. He does all everything right. 
but these are NBA guards. These are elite level players. You know, they only need a breath to get the shot off. And if your uh, leaping ability when you're on your back foot is three inches off the ground, you know, you might as well not contest them. Correct. And those are the plays that stand out to me when I when I look at his defensive film. And it's similar with Mascala. Mascala is always, like, he rotates well. You can tell he knows where he's supposed to be to stop the guy rolling to the rim or, or, or driving toward the rim. But a few things. One, his his uh, wingspan is just non-existent. I don't, I don't know what the number is, but just watching, watching the film, you can just see his arms just don't get in the way. Um, you know, he's close to being a seven-footer if he's not. And his arms just are causing no disruption at the rim. And the other thing is, he's just not very strong. Uh, there was a play, uh, game two or three against the Bulls. Markinen drives to the rim, pretty much comes from half court, um, does a, a little half euro, gets his shoulder into Muscala's chest, and Muscala's, you know, hitting the uh, three steps into the baseline out of bounds while um, while Markinen is laying it in. And I think that's those kinds of plays that. It just demonstrates like he knows exactly where to be. He just doesn't have the athleticism to really make a make a difference defensively in the NBA. Sure, and, it, and it's tough. The good news with a guy like Mike Muscala is, if you can make that tray ball, there's a spot for you in this league, <laughs> and it, it may absolutely be as a backup big who plays eight to twelve minutes a night. But if you can space the floor like Mike Muscala can, and again, there's a reason he's been in this league for as long as he has, and it's certainly not because of his defensive willingness as a backup big. Um, but the way that he spaces the floor will, will keep him around. Uh, now, one thing that I, w- I wanted to transition to is, and you talk about about these guys who don't have the NBA athleticism, but always know where to be. And, and I want to transition this conversation to, to the most unique player on this roster, maybe a guy who has all the tools, but defensively has absolutely no clue where to be. <laughs> and that would be one Pokushevsky. Yes, Alexi. Our man Poku. Well, yeah, what a what a talent. What a guy. I you know, I'm honestly not sure I've seen an NBA player like him. I, I just I don't recall it. Uh, the pure lack of size, first of all, stands out. Um, his, you know, he said it, the claims are that he's seven feet tall, and he, but he still, he still runs with that eighteen-year-old hunch, so he looks like he's six nine. He absolutely does. You know, his shoulders come down, his head comes down, but I'll tell you, his head never comes down figuratively because it's it's always up and it's always big. That guy has the most confidence I've ever seen from an eighteen-year-old that may not actually be an NBA rotation player. Supreme. Supreme confidence. I mean, you know, he's making these. The first offensive play in game one, he goes, he, you know, he gets the ball off a board and he's driving, and there's two defenders, and he tries to do a Euro, and he realizes this is NBA competition and not League Two in Greece, and the defender is also 6'10 and just stood there. So he does this little twirl thing where he throws the ball backwards off the glass, you know, slams it off as if he's trying to throw some alley oop realizes it didn't go anywhere and it's just spreading back up the court as if nothing happened. I'll get it next time, coach. Yeah, and, and he's just he's making those kinds of plays all the time that just make you scratch your head. But his head never drops. I like he just believes he can make every single one of these plays. It is crazy to watch. I I wish that we were doing this on YouTube so that I could pull up on Synergy if it's if their preseason games are on there. I would love to pull up his very first defensive possession because Josiah, you and I were talking about it. You and I were texting during the very first preseason game when we were watching together, and Poku comes in. We both text each other, Poku's in, and immediately both text each other again. This dude has no clue what's going on. (laughs) He got lost four times in one defensive (laughs) possession. Head was on a swivel. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's what the coaches mean, yeah. They tell you, they say the key to playing good defense is see ball, see man. And I'll tell you, Poku saw neither. He saw saw nine guys on the court, and that was it. You know, the ball is somewhere. There's three refs, too. I don't know if they're on my team. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be, coach. Can you help me out? You know, but what's incredible, though, is that he still shows these flashes that just let you know, like, this guy has nearly unlimited potential. I mean, you just. 
a seven-foot rook, youngest player in the draft, could be the youngest player in the NBA this year. Um, absolutely no weight on his body. Um, you hear seven-footer, and I remember talking to you uh, when they drafted him, and you really hadn't seen any film yet. And you asked me what's his play style, and you know I'm you know I'm watching him play against you know six-footers in League Two in Greece. It truly is. If anybody has a chance to watch, I mean, he's playing in like decently high-level high school games. Um, last year, you know that that's what it looks like, and he's just he's just taller and better than all these guys, and he's spotting up shooting threes. And I knew he could have easily been in the paint, getting twelve offensive rebounds and finally scoring. Um, but it was clear his development path was more toward you know spacing the floor, using some skill, and then using his size on the other end to block shots and get boards. Um, and so I texted you and said, you know, yeah, he's a, you know he's a seven footer. I guess he's a four. He can't really guard those yet. Um, we'll see what he looks like when he has size, but he's pretty skilled, um, and you know he can shoot, or at least he thinks he can. Uh, I'm not sure if they go in, but he he gets them off at a high clip. And after three possessions, you texted me and said, "Yeah, this guy's a wing," uh, and, and it's just crazy that we have a seven footer at 18 years old that has all of these wing skills. When not even 10 years ago, it would just be unheard of to have a guy at that size playing that position. Yep, it's. You know, it's funny that you that you referenced the discussion surrounding his his position because I just thought to myself, seven one, there's no way this kid is a wing. But every time you watch him play, there's nothing he does that is four like. Nothing he does, and in fact, I would say, and and I'll have to look back on it just to make sure I'm correct here. But I feel comfortable saying I think he's been the primary ball handler of more pick and rolls than he has been the role man. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I don't remember many screens from him unless it was in semi-transition, um, or he'll he'll pop everyone. You know, he loves to. He's always looking to shoot that guy. He, <laughs> yeah, if the ball touches, yeah, it's it's going up. You know, it's interesting. One of the, a comparison that I think is decent, not great, and I'm not saying he's on the he'll ever be on the same level as this player, but he he kind of reminds me of Kristaps Porzingis. Um, sure. But Poku is you know seven foot, maybe seven one, and walks with a slouch. Um, Porzingis is seven foot three. Period. You know he he's huge. He's not he's not just a seven footer. He is he is massive. Now, obviously, Porzingis is a better shooter, a better shot blocker. He has some skills that Poku just didn't have, even coming into the league. But Poku moves so much better than he does. Uh, just yeah. just like the way that his body moves, the way he runs, how he moves side to side, even his his handle is pretty terrible right now as when measuring uh to nba caliber but for a seven footer it's pretty solid um his willingness to pass he made several passes that i was just blown away by and not on not on lift yes pick and roll yeah he's made several of those and it's not just uh, it's not just the fancy stuff either his his normal passes are pretty crisp um, you know, just his standard swing the ball. Like they hit the, you know, it seems simple and easy, but um, he's quickly moving the ball and he's hitting the guy in the chest, uh, which is not a simple thing for a guy of that size. It's not a simple fa- thing for a lot of guards in the league. Right. I think you, one thing I've noticed, and and uh, one of my one of my uh, colleagues right now that I coach with is is European and and was a, a twenty year pro in Europe. Um, and, and we'll talk with him later on, uh, as we do some more, uh, episodes, cause he actually worked quite extensively with Teo, but, uh, coach Eftem was a pro in Europe for years and, and still to this day, you know, has a lot of that European, uh, those European tendencies in the way that he coaches. And the biggest thing he tells me is he says, man, the, the, these kids in America just don't get the fundamentals. He said, we teach all of our kids in Europe to dribble pass and shoot regardless of their position. We don't care how tall you are. We don't care how big you are. You still need to learn to dribble pass and shoot. And obviously we can see the, the, that that development is starting to take place in the American game as well. But it's no secret that Europe was, was kind of out ahead of us in terms of the skilled bigs. And a lot of that's because they don't have the same athletes that America has. There are no even – Tyson Chandler's running around that we really see in Europe. And so you see the Jokic's and, and even on a lower scale, uh, maybe the Nurkic's, uh, even Andrea Bargiani back in, I think, 08, 
when he was drafted uh, was a skilled big. And so you're starting to see these things catch up. But Poku has been in Europe. Uh, he's been a professional. And he he has the skill set. You can tell that this is stuff he's been doing for a long time. When he puts the ball on the floor in a pick and roll, he doesn't look out of place. Now, what's going to happen? Who knows? <laughs> totally up in the right, air every time. Right. That That is a total coin flip. But like you said, his confidence won. You don't have confidence without putting in the work. And, and that's something that you see with a lot of kids that transition to the NBA. They're not confident because their whole life they thought they worked hard. And they did to an extent, but they don't work like pros do. They haven't been working their whole life like pros do. And so when when you see these kids with this certain level of confidence and, and Poku has it, uh, Ja has it. Ja Morant has that same level of I belong here. And obviously Ja is at a different level in terms of executing and showing the world that he does in fact belong here. But that, that confidence comes from the work that they've put in. And you can tell that Poku has worked on his game. Um, and as he adds strength and, and adds a little bit of IQ and understanding – I think that, like you said, his potential really is limitless to what he can be as a, as an NBA player. Yeah, I think he's really an excellent demonstration of the direction the Thunder are going as an organization with the type of athletes they want to put on the floor, with the type of team they want to be. Um, you know, we're we're pretty accustomed to you know you draft Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant um, back to back to back. And you're gonna Ibaka. exactly, and Serge Ibaka. You know, you're gonna be great, and and one of the keys to developing teams around superstars is they're going to give you a top 10 offense. Now, how do we figure out the defense? Yes. Um, you know, we saw Luka Doncic last year led the uh, Dallas Mavericks to the number one uh, offensive efficiency in the history of the, of the league with him being really their only, you know, above average primary initiator uh, on the team. It was him and a bunch of spacers. Uh, and we saw that, you know, he's a superstar already, and he's going to carry that team to that level of offense. And now the question is, can you defend? It's the same question we ask for the Blazers every year. You know, we're asking it for the Mavs now. And when you're developing a team around superstars, you know those guys are giving you a top 10 offense. Now let's get a top 10 defense. And we've yep. seen historically that to win the NBA title, you got to have a top five offense and a top five defense. Um, you got to find a way to have one of the two and then the, and to be top ten in the other. Um, and I think the way the Thunder developed was <laughs> we're going to have Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, and we're going to play defense around them, uh, yeah. which I think you know it worked to a large degree. You take an injury here, a missed shot there, and the Thunder you know have an NBA title. It's, it's not that the team building failed. It did not. But I think uh, with the direction the league is going, probably with Presti's – uh, player and style preference, uh, I, I think. I, I can't say for sure. Um, I, well, I think his first preference is talent, but I think when you talk about his uh, play style preference with having a young, analytically-minded coach, uh, the desire is going to be to play with that type of uh, with that type of space, with skilled players all over the court. We use that weird term, positionless basketball, a lot, talking about the NBA. And the real key of that isn't, we can still describe guys as two, threes, fours, and fives. That's totally fine. We know who the lead ball handlers are. But what's really key is can they do everything on the court like you were talking about with those European players? Um, and I think uh, Pokashevsky is an excellent demonstration of the fact that the Thunder want guys who can pass, dribble, and shoot and then defend on the other end. They can move their feet. And that's been evident with the last several draft picks with Pokashevsky, with Teo Maladon. Uh, with Darius Baisley, of course, um, even Shea to some degree, who um, kind of has the skills of, of multiple uh, guard-type positions um, and is improving defensively. I think we're seeing that, um, at least for now, until at least until we get the next absolute superstar, uh, we're going to be playing a style that um, has multiple skilled players and isn't so much reliant on having um, a bunch of solid defensive athletes around um, superstars that guarantee you a top 10 offense. Yeah, absolutely. And and with that, that's where you're going to start to see again, there's going to be some bad nights. There's going to be some bad nights where we score 85 points. And then there's going to be nights where where everything is clicking and you kind of see the potential that is, is on this roster. And, um, 
when you look and and your your question becomes when you're looking at th- these young guys is um, one do they fit the timeline for what whatever it is that Presty wants to do? Obviously, he's got a treasure chest of assets right now. Uh, but number two is do they project to be a useful playoff basketball player? Um, it's not 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 every young player on this team is going to be a superstar. That's not the way the NBA works. Um, what can Poku be? I don't know. I really don't. I, obviously, he looks like he can be special, but maybe he never figures out the defensive part, and maybe he never figures out how to not look completely lost. Uh, that's one of those things that makes the NBA so hard is every player that gets drafted to the NBA is one of the best basketball players in the world. And you have to make really hard decisions. Um, and, and this was a year where the information the NBA teams crave was a little limited because of the pandemic and, and the lack of, of visual evaluations they were able to do. So um, I just think it's going to be interesting how it all plays out this year. Uh, like I said, I think there are going to be some, some pretty rough nights where uh, we want to turn the TV off in the third quarter. And I think there's going to be some nights where there's there's a lot to be really excited about. So just um, I think taking every every game kind of even killed and understand, like you said, it's an 82 game season, and and we're going to see a lot of things that we like out of some of these guys, and we're going to see a lot of things that we don't like. Um, you know, just on my end, like I said, my eyes are going to be pretty glued to Darius Baisley because I feel like. I feel like he can take a legitimate jump toward being a guy that, that you want in your core of, of building around what you think can be a really, really good team for a long time, um, a really competitive team. Uh, so, I, you know, looking at, looking at guys like Baisley, looking at Dort offensively, where can he grow? You know, in the preseason, the shot has been <sighs> inconsistent and, and, and it still doesn't look reworked at all. Uh, the biggest thing I've seen is the follow through is landing in a different spot on every shot almost. And so uh, has he learned how to cut or are we going to use him some as a screener? Um, it's it just going to be interesting to see. I, I'm interested to see Coach Dagnault's um, creativeness when you're using a non-shooter um, in the offense and, and finding ways to not let him just stand in the corner and, and let people go stand in the paint and help off of him because of of the lack of spacing. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm a big Lou Dort fan and I have to remind you often that he did have 30 plus in game seven. So, uh, we got to leave some respect on his name. Yeah, we'll put some certainly, respect. We still all cringed every time look, the shot went up, but looking at the, looking at the jump shot form, um, it definitely is, is one of those where as good of a defender as he is, I think there's just going to have to be some questions on how much leniency he gets, um, offensively in terms of the way that I think defenses are going to be able to disrupt our flow when he's on the floor. Yeah, I think that'll be uh, one of the exciting things to watch uh, for the next um, several months, the next 82 games. Oh, well, Jacob, I appreciate you coming on with me to, to talk hoops. I think uh, recording our basketball conversations, um, rather than just having them on the phone with each other, should be interesting to see how the world feels about them. Um, I think uh, we'll end this for now um in our next episode i believe jacob and i will be diving into um all 18 players currently on the roster could be 17 by that point uh, by the time we record the next one and we're going to really dig in obviously we talked about maybe the top seven or eight players but what we'd like to do is dig into some of the role players what are their strengths and weaknesses some areas for improvement um things we've seen in their film um and how we think they can contribute to this uh this thunder roster i think um, digging into the uh, less known guys, the guys that you won't hear about on national pods um, and national conversation is going to be one of the things that uh, we really add, especially you, Jacob. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm really excited in the, in the next episode to talk about Josh Hall. He's a kid I've gotten to see play live a number of times and, and have even coached against him. So, um, you know, he actually went straight from prep, uh, which is the, the, the area that I've been the last couple of years is the prep school um, level. And, he actually went straight prep to to the NBA draft, and so um, he's a kid that I think had he played a year in college, a lot of people would be a lot higher on him than he is than they are. Uh, but he's he's got a, a ton of talent and a ton of upside, so he's a kid I'll, I'll be interested and excited to talk about more on the next episode. Absolutely. Uh, before we go, 
Um, you got any thoughts about uh, what you think the Thunder's uh, uh, season's uh, record's going to look like next year? Uh, or this this coming year for the for reference um, the worst three teams in the 2018-19 season when we had 82 games were 17 19 19 and 22 you got any predictions um, about how many games the thunder are going to win this year we're going to hold you to it uh yeah it's a hard prediction to make because you just don't know how long some guys will be on the team um you know but i i think probably somewhere in that 25 win range uh maybe a little bit less if 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 the front office decides to really go for it and uh me being uh probably uh, you know second to only you on the Cade Cunningham fan page then <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if we shoot for about 15. Uh absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I you know last year for the first few games I got accustomed to watching games for development and not for wins and losses and then of course Chris Paul went supernova in clutch, in the clutch for you know, the last 60 games of the year, and I couldn't help but want to win. Um, you know, I think this is uh, – the starting five is probably a 35-40 to 40 win caliber starting five. Um, the whole team is probably a 30-32 to 32 win caliber team. The bench is just – there's just absolutely no depth. And in this COVID season, I think depth uh, could be really key. Um, and then, you know, considering – Uh, COVID, the lack of depth, and the fact that some of these uh, good players likely won't be on the team post-February, I think um, that 25 to 30 win range is probably where we'll we'll find ourselves um, if Presti doesn't end up selling off every good player that is over the age of 24, then, you know, we should be in pretty good shape to win about 25 games. Yeah, I I think that I'm I'm pretty much lined up with you there. Uh, Like you said, when you go to the bench, it's just it's pretty bleak. Um, obviously, some some good things for the future in, in Teo and, and Poku, but uh, in terms of helping win NBA games right now, I just I, I think that that bench is going to cause some problems. And um, given Horford's age, you know how many minutes is he going to play a night? Um, and and given that that our our five looks looks pretty uh, pretty bleak after that. Um, in terms of of versatility and and being able to play defense at a competitive levels so definitely agree with you there um i'm with you excited to watch this season um from a player development perspective and and just see some of these guys get better and and see what we've got for the future and and what we need to look to add um but it's going to be an exciting season nonetheless we'll just be watching it from a little bit different perspective this time yeah it should be a lot of fun to watch the development well with that uh jacob tell us one more time where we can find you on social media and uh once again appreciate you being on yeah absolutely like i said appreciate you having me on um always down to talk hoops always down to talk the thunder uh you can find me on on twitter at coach j mort m-o-r-t at coach j mort uh jacob morton and and go ahead and follow our our basketball twitter as well at the skill factory um, where you can kind of follow along with what we do uh, with our with our prep and post grad team, as well with our um, NBA pre draft stuff and and pro workouts as the next off season comes into play. So uh, go ahead and follow us there, and and I'm looking forward to being back on. All right, yeah, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Uh, thank you again, and um, you know we'll talk uh, we'll talk player development very soon. Thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of Thunderous Applause. I hope you enjoyed it and be sure to follow us at Thunder Applause on Twitter and Instagram. I'm your host Josiah Morton and you can also follow me on Twitter at Josiah underscore NBA.